Our gospel reading is from Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 21. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes away and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed but puts it on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Almighty Father, uh, Jesus tells us to be really careful about uh, how we hear, how we listen. Um, And we know uh, from elsewhere that we can't really listen well without your Holy Spirit. Uh, so we need your intervention. We need miraculous intervention. We need you uh, to make yourself really clear. And Father, we ask that you will challenge us uh, just uh, precisely where we need to be challenged 
And for each of us, that's a little different. So uh, pinpoint those areas uh, and challenge us there. And will you enable us, as you challenge us, to trust you and to hear your words specifically in that area of our lives so that we can bear fruit? So will you please do that? Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please uh, be seated. And um, it's helpful if you keep the uh, reading from the book of Luke. That's on page 10 and 11. We're going to be uh, kind of uh, going over the in most, not all, but most of the reading. And let me begin with uh, a little bit of a bold statement. Uh, here it is. Uh, the outcome of your life and mine in great measure rests on what it is we do with our ears. Um, does that sound like a ridiculous thing to say? Uh, let me say it differently. Everyone wants to live a fruitful life. No one wants to live a futile life. Everybody wants flourishing. Well, I want to argue that uh, the fruitfulness of your life and mine or the potential futility of your life and mine depends in great measure on our habits of listening. What are we listening to? Um, and I think a lot of, this is a little intuitive for, uh, for many of us. Um, this past week, uh, talking about habits of listening, I discovered a new podcast. And uh, the new podcast, it, it's uh, produced by the BBC. It's called The New Gurus. I don't know if anybody's uh, listened to it. Um, there's some, there, there's really interesting stuff. There's also some stuff that, you know, is a little bracy, bracing. Um, but here's the, here's, a, here's the premise. Um, the whole idea of this podcast is that we are living in uh, what the podcast calls a golden age of gurus. And it, when it talks about gurus, it's not talking about the traditional uh, gurus of, of, uh, of, of Hindu tradition. What it's talking about is kind of uh, self-made secular gurus um, and that, that, we, that, that we listen to on podcasts and YouTube and, and things like this. And, and the narrative of the podcast goes like this. Our, at this moment, our, cult, our confidence in authoritative institutions is low. And at the same time, our sensed need for guidance, for advice, for how do I live my life well, that sensed need is high. And uh, to fill that gap between a low confidence in authoritative institutions and a high sense of need for guidance, what fills the gap is a technology that allows us to curate the voices that give us those advice. So it's podcasts, it's YouTube, it's social media. We're, we're bombarded and we curate these uh, secular gurus who are giving us life hacks about how to maximize, maximize fruitfulness in different areas of our lives and to minimize futility in life. In other words, the, the podcast is arguing that we have become a culture of people who are seeking salvation, and it, it uses that term, uh, through the messages that we consume on our phones. However, argues the podcast, uh, there's a sting in the tail, and the sting in the tail is this. Um, we've, on the one hand, we've never had more access to more sources for advice, but on the other hand, the advice that we're receiving does not always translate 
to uh, fruitful wisdom. In fact, some of these voices are just bonkers. I mean, crazy. And it appears that we cannot always tell the difference. And thus, the fruitfulness or the futility of your life and mine rests in great measure on our habits of listening. The question is, who should we listen to? How do we know wise voices from not wise voices? How shall we uh, respond to the messages that we're hearing? Now, why am I saying all this? Because of our reading. And in our reading, Jesus anticipated some of these problems and issues 2,000 years before. Our reading is a sustained argument that is saying this, that Jesus is entirely unique, that Jesus is not just another guru, another voice among many that we can take or leave, but rather the bold claim is that Jesus is God's self-disclosure, that God, that Jesus is bringing us God's own word, and therefore Jesus is the standard of wisdom against which we uh, discern the wisdom of every other voice. In other words, the bold statement is that the fruitfulness of your life and mine rests in great measure on the degree to which we listen to Jesus and internalize his message and then act on what it is that we hear. Now, I want to flesh this out a little bit, and I want to ask three questions. First of all, why should we bother listening to Jesus and giving him privileged listening? Number two, uh, what gets in the way of listening to Jesus and giving him that privileged access to us? And thirdly, how do we listen well? So first of all, why should we bother uh, listening to Jesus? And, and the basic answer is this. There are many, many reasons why we should listen to Jesus uniquely, but I want to highlight that our passage holds up Jesus and says, uh, listening to Jesus produces remarkable fruit. And you can see the remarkable fruitfulness of listening to Jesus when you look at the community that his message creates. His message creates a community marked by dignity, courage, and belonging. First of all, just take a look at the first paragraph. Uh, soon after this, Jesus went on through the cities and the villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa. And Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Now, that's one of those paragraphs that's really easy to overlook, but that's a mistake. Notice the names. Uh, Luke is the author of this material, and he's writing about 30 years after these events occurred. Uh, and he's done a bunch of research, and he's in interviewed a bunch of eyewitnesses. And as Luke does his research, he comes to the conclusion that he cannot give an adequate account of the community that had gathered around Jesus without mentioning the names of these women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna. And that is a huge deal for this reason. Saying people's names communicates dignity to people, especially when they've been previously denied that dignity. 
So, uh, for instance, if you've ever gone uh, over the last few years, if you've been to a, a racial reckoning protest, one of the things that you'll notice is that at some point uh, there will be a recitation of names. There will be a, a saying of names of those who have been victims of injustice. Uh, it'll be, you know, uh, Tyre Nichols and, and George Floyd and many, many other names will be said out loud very intentionally. Why? Because saying the names out loud imparts dignity to people who have been previously denied that dignity. And something similar is happening here. Luke wants us to know the names of these women because they were held in high honor within the community of Jesus. But they were not held in high honor outside the community of Jesus. Something happened in the community of Jesus that imparted dignity to a group of people that didn't previously have it. And part of what's going on here is that the message of Jesus, what Jesus calls the Word of God, had overturned some of the value systems of the dominant culture. The dominant culture at this time did not value women, but Jesus' message in verse 1, it says the good news that he proclaimed indicated that God took a different view, that God valued these women profoundly, and that's why we know their names. Now, what, what am I trying to say? Well, why listen to the message of Jesus? Many, many reasons. But you can see the fruitfulness of Jesus' message and the truthfulness of Jesus' message in the way that it reframes dignity and creates a culture and a community of dignity that's out of sync with the dominant culture. But it also, the message of Jesus also created a culture of courage. Um, do you know the next time we, we meet the names of these women? Uh, it's at the crucifixion. It's right after Jesus died. Uh, almost all of Jesus' male disciples abandon Jesus when he's crucified, but not these women. These women had the courage to stay with Jesus throughout his ordeal. And then it's these women that show up on the first Easter morning, and they discover the empty tomb, and they report Jesus' resurrection to the men, none of whom really believe them. But the point is, these were women of remarkable courage. Where did they get the courage from? Well, it was the fruit of listening and internalizing Jesus' message. Consider Mary Magdalene, verse 2. It says that Jesus had driven out seven demons out of her. Now, we don't know that story in detail. We don't know all the details that went into it, but we can be confident that Mary clearly had just gone through hell. And it was Jesus' words that shined a light into that hell. And it was Jesus' message that tore back the veil of darkness. And it was Jesus' good news that reached into her life and liberated her in a way that she could never have previously imagined. And I suspect that it was uh, that experience of being set free through the message of Jesus then lit, that then liberated her, her and gave her the courage to enter and face the darkness when Jesus walked into it. Once again, why do we prioritize the message of Jesus? Many, many reasons, but just a few from this passage, it builds a community of dignity, and it builds an uncommon courage. But then thirdly, it builds a community of uncommon belonging. 
Um, these women were not just friends. They were a new kind of family. Uh, look at verse 19, the very end of the reading. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, desiring to see you. But Jesus answered, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Um, the human heart longs for belonging. You know that. Uh, and we're always, we can't avoid trying to satisfy that yearning to belong. Uh, and we try to uh, fill that yearning for belonging in all kinds of different ways, sometimes in our physical families, sometimes in uh, relationships. Um, <clears throat> sometimes it can be things like uh, we look to our nation or we look to tribe. Sometimes we can even look to race or some other identity. We look for these things to give us a sense of belonging because we have an insatiable need for it. But the message of Jesus comes into that situation and says that we were designed to belong to a better family. Family. We were designed to belong to the family of God, and our hearts will be restless until we find our rest in the family for which we were made. And it's the unique, one of the unique gifts of the message of Jesus that he can bring us into the family for which we were made and for which we desire. Dignity, courage, belonging, we could go on. But those are just three samplings of the fruitfulness that the message of Jesus gives and they're indicators of why we must prioritize the message of Jesus over and against any other voice. But as soon as I say that, I can hear an objection, and the objection might go like this. Maybe you're thinking of it. Uh, if that's true, if the message of Jesus and the Word of God really imparts an uncommon dignity, a courage, a, a belonging, then why in the world are so many Christians terrible? Does that make sense? Well, Jesus is ahead of that question. Go back to the reading. Jesus is just getting popular at this point. Uh, but verse 4, you can see that big crowds from town after town are gathering to him. Um, however, it's important to know that popularity was never a measure of success for Jesus. Uh, he knew that a lot of people, as the crowd grew bigger, a lot of those people, a lot of those, so to speak, likes, uh, we're not actually listening, not in a deep way. And therefore, he tells them a story. It's a story about a farmer. Um, clearly, everybody in Manhattan can identify, right? Yeah, well, I know me neither, but we'll do our best. Um, so a farmer, a sower, goes out to plant seeds, and I guess they, throw, they threw them. And, um, and some fall on hard path, and they, they never get into the, into the ground, they never sprout. Some fall on rocky ground. They sprout, but they don't last. Some fall amongst the weeds. They sprout, but they get choked and they die. But then some seed falls on good soil and produces all kinds of fruit. Um, the point of the story is to explain the obstacles that get in the way of really internalizing Jesus's message in such a manner that it produces the fruit that we want. And I want to show you three obstacles to fruitful listening. And they all have to do with our hearts. Our hearts might be hard, or they might be shallow, or they might be distracted. Verse 11, they might be hard. The seed, says Jesus, is the word of God. 
The ones along the path are those who have heard, but the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Now, imagine uh, the paths on a farm. So these are not going to be concrete paths. They're not going to be, uh, there's no paving. Um, but uh, apparently, it, you know, if you walk on dirt long enough, it gets really, really uh, compacted, right? Uh, and, it, and it can be, become so compacted that it's, it won't receive a seed. It, 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 it's like, it's as hard as rock almost. And so the seed hits the path and gets deflected. It just kind of bounces along the path, and then a bird comes and eats it. And Jesus says that is the heart that is perhaps most vulnerable to evil. It's the hard heart. And it might go like this. Uh, listen, uh, I, uh, I, I'm happy to listen to Jesus. Of course I'm happy to listen to Jesus. I'll listen to anybody. Um, and I'll, I'll take the things that I agree with, and I'll take them on board. Uh, I will listen to Jesus in much the way that I will listen to any, any other voice. I'll take on the bits that I agree with. Uh, but the bits that I don't agree with, well, I'm a critical thinker, and so I'll hold that at arm's distance. And I, uh, and I, I won't be, the, when Jesus says things that challenge me or that I disagree with, I'll just kind of put them over here. I'll deflect them. Now, that might sound, um, I don't know, that might sound heroic, intellectually responsible, perhaps. I don't know. But it is profoundly dangerous. Why? Because pride and self-sufficiency makes us vulnerable to believing lies. Why? Well, listen, part of us is wrong all the time, right? But if I am overconfident in my perspective, then I can resist being challenged by truth. I can create impenetrable barriers to being uh, uh, challenged by truth because I simply don't want to be challenged because it's uncomfortable and I'm highly confident in myself. And that the problem with that is that will inevitably make us captives to our own error. And according to Jesus, it can get more diabolical, quite literally, because you can be very, very confident in yourself and end up unwittingly a captive of the devil. Now, Emmanuel, you are all here. And one of the things that, that means is that we all hear something of Jesus all the time. The question is, uh, are you like this? Yes. I'm willing to be challenged. Or are you like this? Don't get close. Jesus must challenge you, correct you, rebuke you, and we must crave that work because that's sometimes what it feels like for Jesus to protect us from evil. And Jesus is really good at protecting us from evil. We have to say yes. But let's keep moving. Uh, sometimes it's not just that our heart is hard, it's that we're shallow. Look at verse uh, 13. Some seed fall along the rocky ground, and they, uh, they sprout, but then they die, and they die in the midst of difficult times. 
Okay, now this is the person that hears Jesus' message, begins to put it into practice, is really excited, loves Jesus a lot, or it looks like it, but then life kicks you in the teeth. Verse 13, you go through a time of testing. And when life kicks you in the teeth, you find yourself, you almost never say it this way, but this is what's going on. Wait a minute. I ticked all the Jesus boxes. I did everything right. I worked the plan. And look at where it got me. Look at where it got me. And if God was really good, I wouldn't be going through this. And if God was really trustworthy, my life would be better. I suppose this just doesn't work. And so I'm going to try something else. Now, this is what made uh, Peter and the other male disciples fall away from Jesus when he was crucified. Because they had listened to Jesus, they had followed him, but his teaching had not yet penetrated so deeply in their hearts to persuade them that God's even good when life is horrible. But on the other hand, Mary Magdalene had learned that lesson. She knew that God was good even when life felt like hell. And so she stayed with Jesus when he walked through his path of hell. Peter didn't. Emmanuel, if life hasn't kicked you in the teeth yet, it will. Will the word of Jesus be deep enough within your life to make you a Mary Magdalene? Sometimes our hearts are hard, sometimes they're shallow, or thirdly, sometimes they're just distracted. Look at verse 14. As for what fell among the thorns, they're the ones who hear, but they go on their way. As they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Okay, um, one of the very important lessons the Bible wants to teach us is this. Uh, God is better than the good things he's made. He's better than riches. He's better than um, pleasures. Um, but the thing is, my heart, your heart, we don't want to believe that. We want to believe uh, God's great, especially if he gives me the relationship that I really want. Uh, God's great, but when the brass tacks, when it really comes down, my, the dream, my dreams coming true are more important. Uh, God's great, but ultimately it's going to be down to me to make sure that my worst fears don't come true. The trouble is, if we think that way, uh, we will end up terribly, terribly uh, vulnerable. Why? Well, think of it this way. Um, ask these questions. Uh, what is it that I love? What is it that I fear? What is it that I cannot live without? The Bible and the Word of God wants to persuade you that God is the deepest answer to all of those questions. The Bible wants to say, uh, what is it that you love the most? It needs to eventually be God. What is it that you fear the most? It needs to eventually be God. What is it that you cannot live without? Well, it needs to eventually be God. And if the answer to any of those questions is something other than God, then uh, those things will choke you and strangle you at some point over the course of your life. Because what will happen when, you, when what you love the most fails you? 
And what will you do when what you fear the most comes true? And what will you do when you lose whatever it is that you cannot live without? When those things happen, you will find yourself strangled. But when God is what you love the most, and when God is what you fear the most, and when God is that which you cannot live without, then you will find yourself remarkably resilient and full of courage. Remember, the fruitfulness or futility of my life and yours rests in great measure on the habits of our listening. Is the word of God getting deep? How then can we listen fruitfully? Well, verse 15 says this, As for that which is in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast with an honest and a good heart and bear fruit with patience. All right, how do we get from hardness and shallowness and distraction to become that good soil? Well, look at verse 1 real quick. Do you notice Jesus does two things? He proclaims the word, but then he does the word. He proclaims the good news and he does the word. And doing the, uh, the good news, bringing the word, the good news, means that he backs up his word with miraculous intervention. This is another reason why Jesus is not just another guru. And you can see this play out in Mary Magdalene. Jesus drove out seven demons. And on the one hand, that happened as Mary said yes to Jesus' word. But it was not just that. It was also that Jesus backed up his word with a miraculous intervention. Jesus always backs up his word with miraculous intervention. And you can see that in spades when Jesus goes to the cross. Because as Jesus goes to the cross, he's preferring God over all that God has made. And that's why Jesus consented to the plan. And when Jesus goes to the cross, he was trusting God even in the midst of suffering. He was deep and profound in, his, uh, in, his, in the way he heard his Father's word. And he did all of that. He went to the cross so that he could take people with very hard hearts and break up the soil and give us new hearts. And therefore... Because Jesus miraculously intervenes in our life, we need to look at him and listen to him and ask him to miraculously intervene in our lives. And you do it like this. you got to listen, so to speak, with both your ears. Now, that sounds weird, but here's what I mean. It's a, there's a double kind of listening that has to happen. On the one hand, so to speak, with one ear, you need to immerse yourself in the teachings of Jesus. You need to set aside time to read the Bible, friends, and to listen to the Bible, and to listen uh, to, uh, you know, listen on, a, on, on your phone, for instance. I do that all the time. But immerse yourself in the teachings of the Bible. But as you do that with your other ear, always keep an ear on what Jesus has accomplished for you at the cross. And as you do that, Jesus will apply the cross to every area of your life. It'll be like the cross becomes a plow in your heart that breaks up the hard ground. 
And then Jesus will uh, plow even deeper in your heart, and he will cut out the rocky bits so that you will deepen in your trust of God's word, and your heart will be ready to trust God even in the midst of suffering. And that's when, verse 15, you'll be able to walk with the Lord with patience, hearing and obeying with patience over the long term and over every season of your life. And then as you listen to Jesus's word, he will continue to plow you so deeply that you'll no longer be uh, choked by the cares and the concerns of this life, but rather, verse 15, he will reshape your heart so that it is honest and good, which means it loves God and fears God and ultimately lives for God. And as he does that, you will find that Jesus is not just another, you know, voice among many, but rather Jesus is God's own self-disclosure to you, opening up the path of life. So friends, uh, take care how you hear. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.